I'm Sam Cohen, and welcome to the Biology Pod, the podcast that's designed to help you make the most out of your Year 11 Biology. So it's time to make yourself a nice hot cup of tea, kick the cat off the comfy chair, and let's learn biology. Hello and welcome to podcast number four, and this podcast is about taxonomy. That's the classification system for identifying and grouping similar organisms together. Also, I'll be looking at uh, species and what a species is, and including my top 10 facts about echidna. And fact number 10 is... The name echidna comes from Greek mythology. In Greek, echidna means viper. An echidna was a half-nymph, half-snake, who was mother of all the horrible creatures in Greek mythology, like the chimera, the sphinx and the hydra. Fact number nine. Of the eight species of echidna, four are extinct, and one, Zaglossus attenborii, or Sir David's echidna, named after Sir David Attenborough, the well-known naturalist and broadcaster, hasn't been seen in, since the 1960s. Fact number 8. Echidna belong to the family Tachyglossidae, which means literally quick tongues because they eat by darting their tongues in and out. Fact number 7. Because of their rapid tongues, echidnas don't actually have any teeth. Fact number 6. You probably know that echidnas are monotremes, that is, egg-laying mammals. But did you know that the echidnas don't actually nest? They lay their eggs directly into their pouches. And later in the pod, I'll bring you my top five weird facts about echidna. But first, taxonomy. Taxonomy, what's it all about? Well, it's all about classifying organisms and giving them names so we can identify them, so it can record how diverse all the life forms are and know what we're talking about is the same thing that somebody else is talking about. The system, their taxonomy classification, has been designed not just to have a naming mechanism, which is widely understood, but also to put things into groups with other organisms that they're similar to. So we've got two reasons. One is identification and the other is grouping. So what's a species anyway? If the species is the basic unit of taxonomy, we need some sort of definition of species. And, well, defining a species is a lot harder than it seems. Now we all know that a dog is not the same species as a cat. I mean, that's fairly obvious. But why isn't it? After all, a dog and a cat both have four legs and a tail. So what we're doing is we're making some sort of arbitrary decision as to how similar two organisms have to be to be of the same species. And in biological terms, the classical definition is the two organisms of the same species if they could mate together and produce fertile offspring. So, for example, a donkey and a horse can mate together, but they produce a mule. So their mules notoriously aren't fertile, so horses and donkeys can't be of the same species. Cats and dogs 
can't mate together, they can't produce offspring, they're not of the same species. And that's okay as a as a, a starting point for our discussion on species, but we are only looking here at species that sexually reproduce. Another way of looking at sexual reproduction in species is a mate recognition species. That's to say that organisms recognise potential mates from within their own species and they wouldn't naturally mate with other organisms outside their own species. So a species is a set of interbreeding populations. And this is, again, useful only for higher taxa like mammals and fish and birds but it's more problematic for organisms who don't reproduce sexually which, or for organisms which could reproduce sexually under artificial conditions, under conditions which aren't found in the wild. So how are we going to look at telling apart two different species if they're not sexually reproducing? Well, a modern approach might be to, to look at their genetics, to look at the DNA and make it a DNA fingerprint, a DNA sort of barcode based on the species. If the barcodes are similar, they're the same species. If they're very different, then they're not of the same species. It makes deciding what's a species perhaps a more statistical exercise, but it's very useful, particularly when we're looking at things like hybridization. Of course, if we were taking a Darwinian approach, we'd have to say that within a species, there's a diversity of genetic material anyway, because all species have, uh, within any species, there's a number of different characteristics, and that what makes it a species is that it shares a common ancestor, it has some sort of history, some lineage, and over that time, it's stayed within a single group that... If we had a characteristic that was selected on, um, we would then perhaps have it it diverging into uh, two different species. So Darwin, uh, which is sometimes called a cladistic approach to uh, species, would be to to say species aren't fixed in time anyway, and that all we're doing, defining something as a species, is making some sort of judgment call based on the appearance of characteristics as they are at the moment. The final, and this isn't by any way a means a final type of uh, looking at species, but the final one which I'm going to mention, because it's a particular favourite of mine, is to look at species in terms of a conservation approach. And that's to say that a species is a particular group of organisms that are a significant unit worthy of distinct conservation. It's a wildlife species, if you like, a set of organisms that have a genetic pool which is worth conserving. Well, I hope that gives you a better idea of, or a different set of ways of looking at what a species is. And before we get into taxonomy, it's time for my top five weird facts about echidna. And fact number five is a taxonomy fact. Echidna are from the family, as I said, tachyglossidae, meaning quick-tongued. But did you know that echidna were originally classified in the family of anteaters? 
like the anteaters from South America. But when it was realised that they were in fact monotremes, they were given their own family, and that was called Echidna. But then in 1872, somebody pointed out that the name Echidna, as a family name, had already been given to eels, so they had to come up with their new name, Tachyglossidae. Fact number four, and this is a rather cute little fact, a baby echidna is called a puggle. Fact number three, from looking at echidna's eye movement during sleep, it appears that echidnas only dream when they're cold. Fact number two, although mammals, which means that they have mammary glands and produce milk for their young, female echidnas don't have nipples. They just leak milk and the young lick it off their fur. And fact number one, the strap-up, the strangest fact about echidna is that a male echidnas have a four-headed penis. Yes, they have a four-headed penis. And when they mate, two of the heads grow in size and two of them don't and they alternate between these heads during sex. Now, if that's not a weird fact about echidna, I don't know what is. Well, some of you are probably thinking, I thought this podcast was going to be about classifications, and so far all we've heard about is a lot of talk to do with echidna's genitalia and what constitutes a species. When's he going to start talking about classification? And in a way, I am talking here, I have been talking about classification, because classification system, taxonomy, is about describing species. And one of the way points of taxonomy is to put similar organisms together. And organisms have historically been classed before DNA analysis by looking at things like their different bone structures, their teeth, and yes, looking at their genitals. So... What do you have to know about classification? Well, you certainly don't have to know the names of some of the millions of species on the planet. Although, learning the names of one or two, as an example, is not necessarily a bad idea. So, one of the main things that you have to know is the Five Kingdoms model. That is, dividing living things into prokaryotes, protists, fungus, animal and plants. Because most naming systems start looking at those five kingdoms. You would also be expected to know that since the mid-1990s, their organisms have classified looking at three domains. That is, eubacteria, archaea, and eukaryotes. So, the or previously, the prokaryotes have effectively been divided into two domains and the protists, fungi, animal and plants have basically been put together as eukaryotes into one overall grouping. You would be also be expected to know how they're then subdivided. That they're subdivided into kingdom, phylum, class, order, family, genus and species. Now there are some individual um, intermediate levels for instance you could have a a subphylum or a subclass a subfamily or a superfamily a subspecies but 
it's basically kingdom, phylum, class, order, family, genus, species. Kelly plays cricket on fine grass surfaces. So you would be expected to know the order of that. You're certainly not going to be expected to know the names of a large number of species or how to divide them. You would be expected, though, to recognise that you don't write a species just by writing the species name. That when you're writing the name of a species, you put the group name or the genus name and the species name together. It's called a binomial description because you have to put both names together. And this is because some species names actually aren't unique just to the species. Particularly in the plant kingdom, there's a number of examples where the same species name occurs in different families. An example of a meaningless name when written alone would be the species name Bionis. There's scores of species of different genera that use this word as part of the name. Artemisia bionis is a type of wormwood. Lactuca bionis is a type of lettuce. Oenthera bionis is a type of sunflower. An evening primrose belongs to a different family. Loads of occasions where bionis has been used as a species name. And if you don't quote both the genus and the species together, nobody would know what you're talking about. And if you're typing the name, then you'd put it in italics. If you're just writing the name, typically you'd underline it so that somebody would know that you're talking about the, the uh, species, the genus and the species as a specific organism. The other thing that you'd be expected to know is you would be expected to know how to construct and use a key. And the the main point about using a key or constructing a key is to always divide the classification in two. So the key to having a key is to define a characteristic that you can split the population in two. They don't have to be two equal halves, two equal sized subpopulations, just a clear way of identifying some from the others and split it into two parts. So I think I'll just end this podcast with a couple of questions. Question number one. Put the following in order. Class, phylum, family, kingdom, genus, species and order. So can you put arrange them from the least similar to the most similar? Question number two, define the term species. And question number three, what are the five kingdoms? What are the five kingdoms? Question number three. Okay, well they're fairly simple questions, but if you've got any difficulty with those, what you can do is you can go back to the beginning of the podcast, have a listen to it again, and see and then attempt them again. And that's all for today. So until next time, take care.